We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast. Powered by Campus Insiders, with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh, Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Welcome to episode three of the pod. It's Kentucky week, but before we talk about Kentucky, we're going to talk about the Gators and what went on against UMass. We're also going to sit down with Max Starks who's going to tell us all about the offensive line, what he thinks about our performance against UMass, as well as our upcoming game against Kentucky. We'll finish the show by breaking down the Kentucky game and then discussing what went on this past weekend with regards to all of the SEC games. Weird weekend for the SEC, as well as the national games to kind of get a feel for what college football might be like this year. Alan, first up, though, was a Labor Day game in the swamp and a hurricane. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. And it came through. Yeah, I hope everyone survived the hurricane. You know, not too bad here in Gainesville. I hope everyone had a great Labor Day. We stayed dry. We missed out on being in the swamp this weekend. Let's get right to it. James, I want to hear about your overall feelings, your overall thoughts, your emotions about this game. But I ask you this. Were you disappointed in the Gators' performance this Saturday? I was very disappointed. Last week, I thought in a dry game, we'd put up 62. In a wet game, we'd put up 45. We kind of had a mixture. Uh, Like you said, we weren't in the swamp. That wasn't by choice, per se. I was at a wedding in Utah trying to catch the game on my cell phone when I could. Uh, Taped it, watched it. Don't worry, I've got all the film breakdown, but was not there in person to experience it. And I know, Alan, you were also away on some official business. So, very disappointing. Um, 
even after watching the film and breaking it down, still disappointing. I, I just think that coming into that game, UMass was the bottom 10% on defense. They were undersized, and, and they, they pushed us around on the line for a large part of that game. And there were a lot of other things that, that did not meet my expectations coming into the game. How about you? Yeah, of course, I think it, it was easy to feel disappointed. But as I got further away, maybe I'll hit the brakes on, you know, driving the car off the cliff. You know, I this was a first game for, you know, the season, but also for our quarterback and his first start ever. Um, so I don't want to, like, totally get too high or too low. I remember a couple years ago, Jeff Driscoll's first start. We put up a lot of points. Everyone's really happy. And then, you know the season goes off the rails. So I don't think you can get too high or too low either week, uh, either way um, after the first week. Yeah. I, I don't know. I was a little disappointed in the middle of it, but as I've gotten some distance from it, I don't feel like, you know, as like crazy about it, but let's, let's talk about the aforementioned Luke Del Rio. How did you feel like he played in his first ever start? Uh, mixed, mixed reviews for me. I saw some things I liked. I thought that his footwork is, is very, very good in the pocket he keeps his eyes downfield the entire time. Those are two really important things. On the flip side of that, I thought his arm was worse than I was expecting it to be. We knew that it wasn't going to be great. Everyone has said that, but it was worse. I actually would go as far as to say that his his arm is a questionable college-level football arm. He can get it done with that in a certain scheme, but uh, Will Greer, he, he is not. So all of the talk about him being the best quarterback on the roster last year, and we heard Shane Matthews say that, we've heard coaches say that, um, I obviously don't think that's true. I don't think it will take even more games for me to, to think that's the case. Now, that does not mean he cannot be a very good quarterback, but mixed reviews for me. Things he did well, but I just I question whether or not he's going to have the arm strength to make throws against tighter windows. I question whether he can throw corner routes, deep out routes, uh, any sort of route that requires velocity from the pocket. I question whether he can do that. Again, it's just one game. One game does not a season make, but generally mixed thoughts I wonder what our ceiling is going to be with the arm strength he debuted with that being said I think our game plan if I'm coaching the team has to switch to a defensive mindset and a ball control game scrapping the tempo a bit using a shorter based uh, offensive philosophy to control clock and use the strengths he does have which is obviously he's very smart didn't turn the ball over made a lot of really good decisions so there's things to like and then things I think natural talent wise that I that I'm not in love with what do you think I feel like he was really in control, if not, I don't know if say tentative is the right word, but not aggressive. And I think that could have been a part of the game plan, could be a part of his first start. So he had no turnovers, which was, I think, excellent. He never looked like he was in danger. He threw the ball away when he needed to. Um, yeah, I, like I said last week, you know, I wanted to see, like, we look like we knew what we're doing. I feel like in general we did. Now, we weren't explosive at all. There were other than the first shot downfield to Callaway, we never looked like we looked deep except for on like maybe a scramble play or something like that. So I don't know. It, it's his first start. It's his first meaningful action in a college football game. I think to expect him to come out and light the world on fire is maybe, uh, you know, uh, too big of expectations for him and for the moment. Nothing I saw other than his, like you said, arm strength really told me like this guy can't do it. He looks lost. He doesn't know what's happening. Yes, I think it's going to be a limitation. That's why he was a walk-on and not a guy who's getting recruited everywhere because he doesn't have a huge arm. But I think he can be successful in this offense. Let's talk about the offense as a whole. It struggled a little bit. Why do you think that is? 
It did, and let me put a wrapper on the comments you just made, which is a good point. Um, I think that, that any discussion of Del Rio has to be encapsulated with the expectations we had for him. As far as a quarterback debut goes, it was solid. He can run the offense. It's more of a, a ceiling, a future view, and you say, okay, who's our quarterback this year and next year and the year after? For me, I'm immediately thinking after one game, we're capped with a guy like Del Rio. Uh, playing against the better teams in the SEC could be difficult. Then again, um, you know, there's a lot that remains to be seen. So we have to watch mm-hmm. that through two games. Same thing here with the offense, right? One game a season does not make. But with the offense, I think the struggle, man, Martez Ivy really in the first half almost single-handedly blew three critical plays that, that would have changed the face of the game. We'd probably score three touchdowns if Martez Ivy makes three blocks on three different plays. That's how important that was. A lot of mistakes, penalties, missed blocks, missed assignments. So that was one main reason that it struggled. The other part of it, I think, was we just had a really interesting game plan. Uh, So they weren't really allowing, from what it looked like, at least on film, they weren't allowing Del Rio to really progress past the second read. Everything seemed to be, let's close down one side of the field. Let's throw a lot of short passes. We missed a lot of blocks on those bubble screens to wide receivers. That was a piece of it. Um, so I, it was it was a kind of a typical first game start, and then when we should have got rolling, I think Luke Del Rio had that inexplicable three pass set where he just whiffed on everyone, and that yeah. kind of just took all momentum out. And then before you knew it, it's halftime. So it's hard to just finger like one specific thing, mm-hmm. but it was a combination of individual players at times just really playing poorly that sort of derailed a drive, and then you get up the field and you'd have another drive and someone else would make a really bad play, and then that would derail the drive. So it was a weird combination of individual, I felt, performances in certain key moments that did it. Yeah, everybody was not in sync. It felt like there was a lot of disjointedness. Um, the offensive line did not play well. Um, that was a big disappointment for me. I thought they were going to be a lot, um, I don't know, much improved from what they were last year. And they weren't awful, but they were not blowing out UMass along the defensive line. These were guys in the backfield. They were getting pressure on Del Rio. And everything we were doing, we were throwing these, uh, like you said, this kind of quick outs or into the flat across the wide side of the field. Plays that are good plays, and you need those in your offense. But once we start doing that over and over again, there was no explosiveness, no big chunk plays. So if anything went wrong at all, if we had a missed block, if um, you know we didn't get many yards after the catch, it was hard for the offense to keep the momentum because there was everything was in such small plays. And if we got into you know third and long, it seemed like it was really difficult for us to make the play downfield. We weren't going to be able to recover, and that was disappointing to see the offense just kind of muddle through. Again, it looked okay. Like, it didn't look tragic or, like, you know, people like, oh, the same Florida offense. It wasn't the same Florida offense under, like, you know, the second half of last year or even during times in the Muschamp era. Uh, I think as well, you know, Dre Massey was a guy who was going to be really featured in this offense. Um, You picked him as your breakout player. He essentially doesn't play in this game. I have to believe that affected the game plan a good amount. And so, you know, there's enough question marks for me that I'm not so concerned, but I need to see them take another step forward. Yeah, and, that, and that's that's a, such a bummer for Dre Massey out with a knee injury that occurred really in the kickoff. Difficult. He played until halftime with that knee injury. Uh, I'm not sure if they've confirmed exactly what it is. I'm sure it's an, an ACL or something of that nature. So big loss for the Gators, given all the hype that he had. We had him on our hype list, had him as a breakout player. And I'm not concerned about the offense. That's a good question. Are you concerned about the offense? It's something to think about. I think some Gator fans are probably contemplating that right now. 
I'm not concerned about it, but it's definitely not going to reach the heights that I thought a Will Greer offense could have reached. And it's absolutely not going to be a Treon offense either. And I, my goal before the season was to be average in the SEC on offense. This offense can absolutely be average. It totally can. And, it can uh, get there. I, I didn't, that. Yeah, I didn't see anything that led me to believe it couldn't be average. I think the the disappointing part for me was it doesn't look like it can be great. Not right now. And, and of course, again, don't base anything off one game. But I just think given given what we've seen so far, um, we could have a hard time being explosive. And if you can't get explosive plays, it's going to be difficult to score against some of these better defenses. Uh, with that being said, I felt like two players in particular on offense really, really were above the rest. And that would have been Callaway, not surprisingly, easily the best player in the field. And then Scarlett, who I thought took a tremendous step forward in this game. He, he played. He, yeah, I mean, he was electric every time he touched the ball. He was bouncing unders. He was making UMass look like they were an inferior defensive team. Very excited about what he might be able to do if we can get some some blocking and some running lanes for him. Really good performance, I thought, by Scarlett. Let's move over to the defense. Uh, played fairly well. Did it live up to your expect expectations from this week? You know, it did, and I'm going to say that because there were three plays that allowed them to get 100-plus yards of offense. If you mm-hmm. take away those plays, they had like 70 total yards of offense. Uh, the defense had a ridiculous 1.3 um, average yards per rush attempt, and that factors in sacks, so that was big. But that that's just that's fantastic. On the flip side, the pass defense was, was weak. You know, it gave up 8.3 yards of play, which is much, much higher than we typically give up. Um, very high for a team like UMass, but... That occurred almost exclusively against one guy in Chris Williamson. And then, of course, the annual favorite James Virgilio coverage guy, Marcus May, who continues to be a tremendous liability in coverage. I mean, two or three of those drag routes in the second half were exclusively on him, just absolutely jumping to the outside on a play where he's got to be covering the middle. I don't understand why he doesn't play pass defense well, but if you take away those kind of Williamson plays, really, and you take away the fact that we should have called him out in that first fourth down, uh, we were completely out of position. Um, I felt like the defense showed a lot of juice. To me, they look like they're going to be a top three, mm-hmm. uh, top four, top five national defense. I mean, Anzalone was exceptional. I thought he was all over the field. I thought our pass rush was actually really good. Even in the first half, I know there was a lot of, I was getting a lot of messages about what's going on with the pass rush. UMass at times in the first half was was blocking seven. They would keep two running backs back, including the offensive line. They'd block all of them. And we were only sending four. And uh, any time it was an even situation, we were just blowing past them. So I felt like the defense had a ton of flash. When you put Tabor back in the lineup, I think our only true weakness to me is really going to be uh, potential rush off the ends, which you didn't get to test against UMass, but is really going to be Marcus May on key third downs. That's the only weakness I see if we're healthy. The concern I have, like we talked about in the beginning of this season, is the depth. Man, it fell off really fast. I mean, we could not cover anyone seemingly. Uh, on that other side where Tabor's supposed to be. So scary if something were to happen to Tabor because we are inexperienced over there. So we talked a little bit about UMass being a little tricky on offense and that, hey, you might see a few big pass plays. And, you know, other than those, you know, one that double moved down the sideline that, you know, moved them down the field, really the only time they moved the ball is when our defense was committing personal fouls or hands-to-the-face penalties. Clean up that stuff, and they're – exceptionally dominant the second half UMass only five first downs only 51 yards total they really clamped down and you're right so maybe the weakest spot on the field Chris Williamson becomes the area of greatest strength with Jalen Tabor so I'm not really concerned about that also Duke Dawson didn't really play he would have been the guy in that spot 
I think you'll see as the season goes on, Chauncey Gardner, Joseph Putu, those will probably be the guys who will be in that that spot if you know Taylor's not on the field for some reason, or Tabor, excuse me, is not on the field for some reason. I was really pleased with the defense. I thought there was a lot of opportunity to become lax. They had to stay focused the entire game um, because we were not really putting points on the board. And I love that they were able to remain focused when the offense wasn't clicking. You know, not a lot of turnovers, obviously. I mean, UMass did a great job of protecting the ball, playing smart. They game planned that fairly well with their limited resources. So for people who, you know, wanted to see a lot of flash out of defense, uh, you know, that's probably the reason why they're. Um, But I, I was really pleased with their play um, other than the, you know, the penalties probably. Yeah. And I think there would have been a lot of flash had we gotten up on them. I thought yes. Mark Whipple who likes to run tempo and we, he talked about that on our show last week, he likes to run tempo and he, and he didn't, he clocked mm-hmm. the whole game, which is yep. exactly what you should have done. He ran the ball a ton in the second half. He was basically hoping that we would screw up mm-hmm. because I think his own assessment as a guy who's, who's, you know, coordinated and, and run high level offenses at, at college and the NFL level he knew he was not going to be able to consistently pass against us. He stole a couple of those passing plays by quick tempoing us on fourth downs when we weren't ready for it, and that definitely caught us off guard. But outside of that, if we knew it was a passing down, there was very, very little they could do. And uh, I think we would have had a tremendous amount of turnovers had we gotten up in this game and they had done anything to try to run offense. But since it didn't happen, I thought hats off even more to the defense in a game they actually had to win, and they won that game for us. I mean, it shouldn't have been a game, but they did. And... My excitement level going forward in this Kentucky week is, is a 10 out of 10 to watch what this defense can do. I think they could really be something special, primarily because of Anzalone alongside Davis. It's the first time in a couple years, really several years, we've had two linebackers that I think can cover that well. And I thought that really plugged up what had traditionally been our biggest weakness, which was not a weakness at all mm-hmm. in this particular game. We were covering guys at the backfield, I mean, fantastically well. So uh, that leaves us really with just one weakness. So I'm really excited about seeing what we do. This weekend. You're right. I was thinking at some point in the third quarter we'd score some points and they would start to have to be more aggressive, which would lead to some more interceptions. I mean, part of my score prediction was a few short fields. We didn't have that at all. And the offense, you know, wasn't putting up the points it needed to to really create the situations for the defense to be as aggressive as they could have been. Um, I, yeah, I'm agree. I'm looking forward to the defense team, you know, kind of what they bring to the table here when they really have an opportunity to shine. Uh, let's talk about other players we liked. You mentioned... Alex Anzalone, great day at linebacker, Jordan Scarlett. Um, a guy that we talked about on our hype list who had a big showing, Jabari Zuniga. Look, he looks great off the edge, aggressive, powerful, quick. Uh, anybody else you liked out there? That that encompasses most of the guys. Obviously, one guy we have to mention is Florida's new superstar field goal kicker. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Excitement himself. Mr. Excitement himself. I can't, I can't, when I'm watching it, I'm thinking, oh man, this guy's too excited for a kicker. He needs to act like he's been there. And he's running around like it's an experiment. The Grammatica brothers in there. Yes, yes, that's what it reminds me of. Don't tear your ACL jumping and celebrating. But it's fun to see Panero's excitement for the game because you realize that basically it's you. It's you, the listener, putting a helmet on and pads on and kicking field goals. Except you've got a rocket for a leg because he's never played any game before. And he's running around with 90,000 people in the student section chanting his name. Hey, picture it. how you would act. You'd probably be pretty excited about it, too. But huge win, actually. We had talked about his debut. Huge win for the Gators in general. His kickoffs were fantastic. The guy has NFL hang time and NFL leg. His field goal makes were incredible. It's going to give us a lot of confidence when we are driving against teams that are good. 
I think that's a game changer. So definitely he's on that list. Yeah, no easy kicks, really. I mean, no we weren't like kicks. 20 yards. I mean, I guess he kicked the one that we took off the board. That was a nice, mm-hmm. you know, warm-up for him. But he's hitting 40 yarders easily. Yeah. Look like, you know, no problem. We'll have to see him in a pressure situation yes. where, like, on the road in a tight game, does he freeze up? I don't think he will. But you never know. But I think this is the most excited I've been in several years. There's more players, as I look on our note sheet right now, the more players that we like on our like list than we've had in a while. And I think really plus players compared to the competition. And that's exciting. You can win with that. So I'm I'm very excited as we get some other guys back this weekend. Uh, Of course, we were unable to really run a lot of... um, you know, dual tight end sets, which is a big right. part Central of our offense. Yes, very much a New England Patriots-style offense. We'll see what the freshman receivers can do as they come back since they've gotten a misdemeanor now and nothing with regards to a felony. So I'm excited to see where we grow. I'm excited about this week, even though last week was disappointing. I'm excited because there there were a lot of really inspiring spots that I want to see how this goes up against the Kentucky team. It's probably more formidable than maybe Gator fans realize. Yeah, you know, despite some of their play this weekend, we'll get into that. I, yeah, it's going to be an interesting weekend. Um, so with that closer than expected win at UMass, we end up falling out of the rankings, the AP rankings. Does that bother you at all? Do you care at all? No, no. It, being in the SEC, it never bothers me. I think if you're a team like Boise State, the rankings matter a lot, and you've got to climb them. But the rankings don't mean anything right now. I probably would have dropped us out of the rankings after that performance. Uh, UMass again, three and nine, three and nine. The two seasons before that, one and ten, and one and ten, and they hung right with us and had a chance to win the ball game. So, no problem with that. Probably the more interesting fact with the rankings is is the two huge moves that Wisconsin and Texas made. Wisconsin making the largest move in the history of the AP poll from unranked to number ten, and Texas moves from unranked to number eleven. Uh, I think Wisconsin is wildly, drastically overvalued at number 10, but it's not going to matter because in the month of September, they're going to play four of the top tens, uh, four of the top teams in the Big Ten, and that's why the AP poll doesn't really matter. These teams are all going to play each other. It's Who really a little cares? bit antiquated. We won't, yeah. It doesn't really matter to the college football player. It doesn't mean anything. It's fun to talk about. It doesn't mean anything. Who cares that we're not ranked? You know, Our season doesn't really even start until, A, this weekend against a sneaky Kentucky team, but then really against a Tennessee team that obviously is super lucky to retain their ranking. Yes. And a couple of places on the line, or a couple of places on the team struggled, including the O line. We're gonna get a much closer look at that. Bring in one of our favorite guests, Max Starks. Let's do that. Excited as always to have Max Starks on the show. We had him on last year. We have him back this year. Max is a two-time Super Bowl winning uh, Gator captain, football extraordinaire on the offensive line, joining us today from Arizona. <laughs> Max, it's great to have you back on the show this year. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. I always look forward to doing your show. It's it's a fun time. When you texted me and said, hey, it's been a year, time to come back on, I was like, all right, you know it's football season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and as you said, it was the the best time of year. So this this weekend had an incredible set of games. Uh, the, the SEC tended to struggle. The Gators fit into that narrative, also struggling. What did What were you expecting before the game? What did you think of the game, and what were your impressions afterwards? I guess when you look at the game, uh, initially I, I was I was expecting to see a solid outing. I was expecting to see us at least, I think, move the ball more than we did. Uh, and secondly, when I look at it, I was expecting a little bit more from the secondary uh, in this game going against this UMass team. Uh, as I was watching the game, I was encouraged early on. 
uh, you know, with the first score and just looking at what we were able to do early as far as getting into the end zone. Obviously, you'd love to see Antonio Callaway getting started because he was going to be a key. We knew it was going to be a key to this offense uh, from a passing standpoint. Once he got back, it was how fast can he get reacclimated and how fast can he get a rapport with Luke Del Rio. Uh, I was impressed with that. I thought we ran the ball okay. Um, I won't say we ran it fantastic, and I felt the pass protection was not where it should have been, uh, given that this group, for the most part, played together last year. Um, felt like they should have picked up where they left off and gotten better. I didn't see that. Uh, and then post-game impressions, too close of a game for comfort. Um, you're looking at a game that was 10-7 going into the fourth quarter. Should have never been that close. I felt some missed opportunities. Obviously, Coach Mack talked about uh, Luke making some bad decisions on some throws, but I also felt he was very mature in throwing the ball away the times that he did when he did get immediate pressure off the get-go. I thought he did, had a great job of escapability. I thought he climbed the pocket well, even when it broke down on him. Uh, and then defensively, uh, I loved some of the things that they did as far as their blitz scheme. I liked the defensive line play and really pressing that that offensive line for UMass, which was actually bigger than I thought it was going to be uh, once, once they got on the field. I think it might have been the white jerseys. But I just I, – I felt – that it was just, it, you know, it looked like a first game, but it looked like a first game against a better opponent than the Gators expected to be seeing uh, for the most part. Let's dive in a little bit more on the offensive line play. Obviously, you have a lot of experience there. How would you assess their performance as a unit? Uh, as a unit, C. Uh, I felt like it was a C. Uh, you look at the holes they were able to create and some the push – they got early on short yardage downs. I felt they did a good job. Obviously, on the goal line on that fourth and one was a bit disappointing uh, when they loaded up the box on them, and they even put Brian Cox Jr. in the backfield as a lead blocker. Uh, Ivy whiffed on his uh, kickout block to the left side. That was, uh, you know, that was something that was, you know, as, as pride in the offense line. You're like, no, nah, you can't whiff that block. But then again, you know, you look at also Cam Dillard allows some pressure in that backside A, which wouldn't have helped anyways because of that pressure. So uh, I look at that breakdown. I look at just the multiple breakdowns on the right side with passing off the basic twist games. Uh, UMass didn't come with exotic blitz schemes, but the edge pressures um, from the outside backer uh, in a stand-up position where you know he's going to be there, you know he's in a rush position, he's not sitting off in coverage because there's no tight end for him to cover. So you know he's rushing. And, uh, and guys not being able to figure out a way of getting him cut off as an offensive line, or even, you know, having a game plan where, you know, you might have to switch your switch your uh, running back to come at least provide body presence to help the offensive lineman catch up if the guy is that much faster than Fred Johnson. Uh, that, was, that was probably one of the glaring things. Um, the chemistry is still not there uh, from, from the right side, I feel. I, I think it needs to be – it needs to be a little bit more, especially when you're thinking about you got a Kentucky team who's going to come in here and their defense, uh, at least from a line standpoint, is 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 much improved. So I need Tyler jo Jordan and Fred Johnson to really step up their communication, and Cam needs to be a little bit more assertive with them. He he is the uh, you know he's the old man on the line. You know he's 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 the junior leader on that offensive line, so he needs to command them to be more effective on that right side. Yeah. Are you thinking there need to be any position changes, any replacements needed? Basically 
where do these guys need to improve and can they? I think it's communication. I think it's communication and their technique needs to be cleaner. I don't think Jawan Taylor, even though he did make an appearance in this game, I thought he did some great things in the run game, but I think, you know, Fred Johnson also did some solid things in the run game. So I feel like they're equal there. I think Fred Johnson is a little bit better pass protector right now. And, I, and not to say that Jawan Taylor can't improve to that. I mean, he's a big boy. <laughs> when you look at him, I mean, you know, six five, three forty, 340. Uh, and, and he moves well, but he's just, he's not, I don't think he has the footwork yet to be on the edge of the right side as a true freshman. So I think it's just, it, it's the, the, the onus is on Jordan and Johnson to uh, get their communication up and, and a little bit in the footwork uh, category. You mentioned some of the twists, some of the stunts uh, that UMass was employing, none of which you said was was exotic. It was things the team should have been prepared for. Any idea why it seems like we were so confused anytime they lined up in a, a quarter defense or a 3-4 defense and essentially then kind of had their uh, their backers not align normally that gave us such a problem? I mean, I think there were two plays in the first half where, where – Ivy didn't block anyone out of a out of a pretty standard twist. He just you know twist right on through. Any any reason why they would have missed those so badly in game one? You know he's a young, he, he's a probably guy. I don't. I mean they haven't seen that much three four and three four. I didn't see any until I got to, until I got to the pros. I mean Vanderbilt was probably the most exotic with three three defense. Um, and so it is a bit unnerving when you're so used to four down, where it's like I have a guy physically over me or a guy physically in an inside gap of me, he might be a little removed, and it's easier to see that guy. Or I have this backer, and he walks up on the line of scrimmage, makes it easy. It's 3-4. You can have dual reads from the guard position, uh, depending on how they call the play. And if not, you're on a fan. Or if not, you're on a slide where you have the center on inside help, and you're just sliding to an area and picking up whatever comes to you. So – Looking at the structure of of the defense and looking at the man responsibilities, there's times where you're going to be you're not going to have anybody um, that you're going to block because you're responsible for a gap. And he could have been responsible for a B gap or one of those two, or his guy could have dropped into coverage and left him wide open. So, given what we've seen thus far, and we know that that Mike Summers has a wealth of experience uh, coaching for the NFL as well as college, what do you think of Mike Summers as a coach? I, th- I think Coach Summers ha- uh, is a very good coach. I think he's definitely working with what he had last year. He had a tall task of such a young line and such an old line at the same time. <laughs> you know, because you, you look, he had redshirt seniors on one side and you had like true freshmen on the other so, and, and a sophomore. So he had, he had a very tough job uh, to figure out how to get these guys to work on the same page. And it, and it paid off well. For them last year, obviously get winning the East and going to the SEC championship game. But with that comes a lot of pressure in, the, in your in your follow-up campaign because now these guys have experienced a little bit of success and they have to still work hard. And you're replacing those obvious senior leaders that you had on your team last year and you're replacing them with younger guys, guys who got sparingly and a little, you know, got, got some significant playing time but still very young in the position and not really on the same page. These five guys haven't played together. And it's different from a line like, let's say, in Alabama, where these guys play two years together or, you know, they don't get bumped up to the starting position until their junior years. And they played on that second line with the rest of their buddies. So they all virtually move up together just about minus one. 
And it's so it's a different kind of uh, success that they have to deal with. And, you know, they're rebuilding the team. Let's face it. They're rebuilding that offensive line because you have so many guys, you know, in the last not last year's team, but the previous two to three seasons, you had so many linemen getting drafted. I mean, we have four and one of them's out here in Arizona playing for the Cardinals. Yeah, four linemen go. And that's tough when you have four offensive linemen go that, especially their underclassmen that leave, uh, and you have to rebuild that line from there. And you bring in two redshirt seniors uh, to come in and kind of fill the gaps, and but then you fill the other gaps with freshmen. So it's uh, it, it's 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 a bit of a balancing act. And my, if anybody knows how to get it right, it's going to be Mike Summers because now they have tape on, on so- film that they can watch. So do you think Mike Summers on the other side of things can, can recruit to build an offensive line like an Alabama has? Is he a guy that high school kids want to play for? I think I think he is, and I think it's indicative. I mean, he, they brought in a lot of freshman talent. I mean, just getting Juwan Taylor uh, there was, I think, a huge hit. And then they took uh, the uh, other young man that came in as an early transfer from uh, Stone Forsythe, getting him in there. Uh, those were two, those were two big recruits that, that he got in there. And those are two guys who are, who I believe are going to play, you know, uh, and compete for a starting job next year, uh, on this team because, uh, those, so those are two top tier guys that I liked a lot when they came out of high school, uh, at the tackle positions. When should Gator fans look for the offensive line to be, I don't want to say complete, but let's say built. You know, you're saying it's in the midst of a rebuilding process. When would you expect this to be built? Are we a year away, two years away? I, I think I think one year away, um, because the biggest thing that you really have on your side is, you know, next year this line should be pretty cemented. You know, Ivy will be a junior by then. Cam, Cam will be a senior. Uh, Dillard, and then Sharp, Sharp, if he decides to stay, we'll see how his year goes. <clears throat> will be a senior, and then you will have. Johnson's a junior, Jordan's a junior, and then you'll have two sophomores in Taylor, Forsyth, uh, Harkless. You know, we'll see how he does if he can, if he can pick up if he can pick up the offense a little bit better. Maybe he could slide in and possibly compete for one of the guard positions. And then, I mean, then you have and then you have a bunch of other guys back there who I think are able-bodied individuals um, to do there. I think Buchanan is another guy you can look to. He might be able to switch to the center position as well. Um, and maybe give some meaningful time. So now you're starting to build the depth on this team, and next year I think it, it should be complete. Well, Max, let me ask you about this week's game against Kentucky. Can you give me what you think might happen quickly and give us a score? All right, well, Kentucky, they're, they're definitely a, a, a much improved team. I mean, I looked at what Drew Barker did, even though they lost to Southern Miss. What Drew Barker was able to do through the air and the confidence that he showed, it's a lot different from last year. But I also think this offense for the Gators is also a lot different than last year. So I'm expecting the offensive side of the ball to start to move the ball better on the ground. I think the right side, you're going to have to look at a little bit more chip element. I think having Siante Lewis back now, you can get more to your 12 personnel, which are two tight ends, one running back system, which you wanted to do and where they were forced not to do. Uh, especially when you think of the injury to Dre Massey and then, of course, not having Seontay Lewis's services because of his suspension, uh, they'll be a lot more flexible because I think that's what they want to get to. They want to get to where you have two tight ends on the field, you have two receivers, and you also have one of the running backs there who can flex out and do a lot of things. That's what they want to operate out of. So I think it'll be a great thing to have him back, uh, Seontay Lewis back, 
And then offensively, now Luke Del Rio has film to watch, and I think he'll be a more accurate passer because he made some great passes uh, through the game, especially through the middle, uh, especially to Brandon Powell and uh, some of the deep routes to uh, Antonio Callaway. So I'm really excited about that. And defensively, I think you'll be a lot better knowing that you got, you got Tabor back on the corner, and now Duke can go back to the nickel position. And hopefully that shoulder's okay because we saw what happens when Chris Williamson's in and it has to cover in the corner position. So hopefully we can we can nix that out. Um, I'm, I'm expecting at least this to be uh, – it should be a 10- to 13-point victory for the Gators. Give me a give me a score. Put something. Mm, what do you got? Mm, mm. Uh, let's see. I'll go. Let's go. Twenty-eight seventeen. Twenty-eight seventeen. All right. All right. And uh, it's been a while since you've lived in Gainesville. We know. What do you miss most about college football? I say college football. What do you think about? <sighs> When I think of college, I just think about Saturdays in the swamp, uh, you know, uh, because I've only been back to Gainesville three times uh, during football season since I left. And it's just it's just it's an electric atmosphere atmosphere. I just think of 90,000 just raging fans in, in, in the stadium crammed on top of each other and just the electric environment that the swamp brings out and. And of course, now Steve Spurrier Field. So I, I just I, I picture good times. And I picture a lot, a lot of Gator victories uh, when I think of college football. And what I miss most about Gainesville, I mean, it, yeah, it's definitely it's being right there, you know, near the Florida lawn and uh, tailgating. That was that was a fun time. And uh, yeah, going into going into the stadium and then halftime, heading over to the F Club, reuniting with friends. And uh, getting to catch up with people and then watching the Gators go out and smash the second half. Well, Max, really appreciate you being on the show today. We know you're all over the place with covering different teams. Can you tell people <laughs> where they can find you? Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, you you guys can fo- follow me on uh, Twitter, uh, easiest way, MaxStark78. Uh, Instagram's MStark78. Also, you can catch me on the huddlenetwork.com uh, backslash Florida Huddle. I also do the weekly sec huddle recaps as well for huddle network uh if you're out in in the valley in arizona i'm on 98.7 ktar uh covering the cardinals i cover high school football out here for azpreps365.com uh i do the game of the week um in october you'll start catching me on westwood one's national broadcast of monday night football i'll be a sideline reporter yeah i think i think i hit everything possible uh from that perspective, or Fox 10 Phoenix locally or on the mobile app, I do also the Cardinals uh, Cardinals post-game analysis. Well, you're a talented man. Everybody wants your services. We know that. Well, yeah. <laughs> thanks for being on today. Really appreciate your thoughts on the game. Hope you do uh, great on all of your endeavors, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> thanks. All right. Sounds good, guys. Take care. All right. It's Kentucky week. Let's jump into this game. Kentucky the Big Blue. They, well, they really blew the lead this week. James, can they recover? Do they have a shot? Tell us what happened last week. Uh, if you didn't know or you didn't watch the game, you might have just seen that they lost to Southern Miss. And you thought, well, that's a Kentucky-like result, losing to an inferior team. But what actually happened was they were up 35-10 to 10 with 26 seconds left in the second quarter. Kentucky was killing Southern Miss. 
They then promptly gave up a 71-yard touchdown pass to make it um, 35-17 at half, and then they promptly gave up a touchdown in 45 seconds opening in the second half to make it a close game and went on to give up a ton of unanswered points, 31 of them uh, to be exact, or 34 of them, sorry, to be exact, and then lose the game, not scoring a single point in the second half, not gaining more than a handful of yards in the second half at home to what should be noted is a high-quality Southern Miss offense, an exceptionally high-quality Southern Miss offense. So on one side, you have a first half they played, they were utterly dominant, and then you had a second half where they just totally imploded. This is a narrative that's continued. Last year against Louisville, their, the game that they uh, lost to end the season, they were up 24-7 to and gave up 31 unanswered points in the second half to lose that game. So Kentucky is is a weird team. Uh, what rubs salt into the wound for them is Southern Miss's new offensive coordinator is Kentucky's fired and old offensive coordinator who ran a train on them in that second half. So if you're a Kentucky yes. fan right now, I think a lot of the Mark Stoops is our hero stuff you had coming into the game last year is gone you're still hopeful you're getting better you probably are getting better but inexplicable result for Kentucky at home to be able to be like that and then lose I'm not sure where they are mentally coming into this game it's going to be difficult for them to get up for this game very difficult I think to get up for this Florida game um aside from the fact that I think they're they're probably feeling somewhat confident they can beat us but two disastrous blown leads in a row for them yeah and of course the the winning streak Florida versus Kentucky I don't know what is it like 170 years at this point. It's, it's like a million. It's like a million years. I've actually got some fun, some fun stats about that uh, to bring into the show in a little bit. But it's it's been like a lifetime basically since Kentucky has beaten. I us. believe it's actually 29 years. But I'm not totally sure about that. I probably should know. It's so long that it doesn't matter. It's a big, big streak. Okay, well, let's talk, talk about the actual game here. Um, so obviously we we've said that the Gators need to improve, especially on offense. What would be encouraging for you what kind of improvements would you like to see well there's two there's two things i'm going to bracket this into so one i'm going to say what kind of improvements do i want to see if we can win the sec east and two is going to be what kind of improvements am i going to see if we're going to win the game okay so i'm going to start with winning the game so if we want to beat kentucky we cannot play the way we played against umass we will probably lose Uh, and if we don't lose it will be an extremely close game so Immediate improvements is the offensive line has got to do a better job of consistently blocking. I would love to say, hey, how about they actually push Kentucky's defensive line back? But I'm not even going to ask for that. I'm going to ask for a neutral job at the line of scrimmage, but a situation where we are not just completely whiffing blocks on a consistent basis. That would be number one. Number two, I'm going to closely watch the play of Luke Del Rio. Primarily, I want to see if maybe the rain affected him. Uh, or if the velocity on a lot of those balls that are thrown to the edge of the field is, in fact, as weak as it was on Saturday. So if we're going to win the Kentucky game, and I'm imagining the way Mark Stoops is game planning us, he's already saying, hey, we're probably going to play a lot of cover two. We're probably going to do a lot to deny any sort of drag route, hitch route, pop route. We're going to play close to the line of scrimmage. And where we're going to help is going to be in the seam area over the middle of the field. And we are going to give Luke Del Rio the sideline and the high outside throw. Because he didn't make it at all uh, against UMass. And if I were Mark Stoops, I would challenge him there. So we're going to have to see if we can beat that kind of coverage. I don't think they'll play man because McElwain is too good at scheming those drag routes with Powell and others. So I'm curious to see if Del Rio has the arm strength to make some of those throws against a better defense in Kentucky and a more sizable defense. On the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to be watching, as always, uh, Marcus May in coverage. I think they're going to try to ISO him. And then Tabor 
with Tabor back, with Quincy Wilson there, with the full complement of defensive players there, can we be elite? Kentucky has an, a very good offense. Uh, right now, coming into this game, not that these one-game numbers mean anything, but they're second in the country in yards per pass attempt at 12.5, and they're 15th in rushing yards per attempt. So they have an offense that can move the ball. They've got a quarterback in Drew Barker, who's a four-star recruit. He's learned the offense. This year, I think he's competent. I think he's good. I think it will be an actual challenge for defense. So this game, I think, will tell us a lot about what our ceiling is for the future, uh, as well as whether or not we can actually win against a Kentucky team that I think is formidable. Yeah, I, w- I would like to see, again, improvements on the offensive line feels like a must. Um, they can't allow the kind of pressure that you get into UMass. They have to move the ball forward. I, there needs to be bigger holes for these running backs. I, I would like to see us run the ball more often and more effectively. I don't know why we didn't call as many run plays as some people feel like we should have in that game. Um, could have been that we were trying to improve the passing game and work out a couple kinks. I'd love to see us run the ball a little bit better. Um and then, yeah, I, I'm with you on the secondary. I, this could be a dominant group if all there and healthy and everything. Um, do they come away with some picks if Kentucky's going to try and challenge them? Um, and I, I think that would be where I'd want to see the biggest improvement is in the turnovers. Like, this defense to really be at the top echelon of the SC nationally has to create opportunities for the offense. Fumbles, strip sacks you know, pressure that creates interceptions, things like that. Um, and I, th- I think they're capable of it. I would like to see them take a step towards that. And maybe they'll be a little more aggressive, feeling more comfortable on the back end with someone like Jalen Tabor. So maybe that'll allow them to send more blitzers and things like that. Okay, let's talk about keys of the game. Um, let's talk about defense first, actually. Well, there's yeah, there's two primary matchups that you're going to want to look for this weekend that I'll be looking for as well. And it's going to be Kentucky's explosive passing offense. And it almost seems weird to say that, but it's true it is. Versus, I think, our safeties. I think any team that challenges us is smart enough not to go right at our corners for the most part. So most of what they're going to do is going to try to get a safety matched up with a slot receiver or a tight end. Uh, Previously, we've had trouble covering that with a safety, a strong safety historically, as well as a linebacker. But I'm pretty confident with what we have in Davis and Anzalone covering there. But I want to watch that matchup. Uh, and Kentucky has a good has a good rushing offense, so uh, very competent. UMass has a great running back, but not necessarily a great rushing attack. So I think it will be interesting to see how our defensive line goes against a team that can potentially run the ball against us. So. If we can limit Kentucky's rushing attack and primarily make them passers, uh, I'd like to see what we can do in third and long. As you said, that's where you generate turnovers via fumbles, via sacks, um, pressures on the quarterback, or, or hurried throws. It's really in those third and long situations. So I'll be closely watching what this defense does on third and long. Uh, we didn't do a great job of that in the first half against UMass. So something to watch for early on there. I think my key to the game for us on defense is the kind of pressure we're going to get up front. I think the secondary is going to be able to handle itself. I know you have your doubts about our safeties. I do too, but I think they're going to be fine back there. So we got some pressure against UMass, not as much as I would like. Like you said, they were blocking a ton. I don't think Kentucky's going to do that. So can guys like CeCe Jefferson, Zabari, Jabari Zuniga, um, even Brian Cox Jr., some of these guys, assortment of guys, can they get to the quarterback you know, I, I think they'll provide some sort of pressure. I'm hopeful about that. Can they get him to the ground? Can they put this offense in bad down and distance plays? And can we stop the running game without committing a lot of people to it? So can we stay in our nickel and still stop the run? So that's going to be the defensive line. Can they get pressure up front? Can they uh, maintain 
you know, the point of attack so that we're not getting gashed in these long running plays and we're going to have to bring in some linebackers who are a little green, Daniel McMillan, a little banged up. That could be bad if they get us into a point where we're not playing out of our strength. Uh, what about offense for you? What's the key for you? The key on offense is just the offensive line. Uh, in addition to, to Del Rio being able to make more throws than a variety of five-yard and under checkdown throws, he's going to have to be able to make downfield throws. So offensive line blocking, how clean is the pocket? Um, are we able to to generate positive rush yards consistently? And primarily, are we able to eliminate negative plays? So we had a lot of penalties, uh, both on offense and defense last week. We need to eliminate some of those drive-killing penalties on both sides of the ball. And, uh, you know, primarily... Martez Ivy will be a guy I'll be watching. He had a really, really poor game. If he's the talent he's supposed to be, he should bounce back from a game like that and have a strong game in this game. So Del Rio and Ivy will be the main guys I'm focusing on. And I'll also be watching our uh, our dual tight end sets. That's where we like to operate out of. We should be much better running the ball out of that formation because primarily it, it's a mismatch problem. Uh, and I'm very curious to see how we're going to do that. I know McElwain's excited about employing that, and it m- matches up pretty well with Del Rio's arm strength to be able to run that kind of system. It doesn't require you to be bombing balls down the down the corner. So I'll be I'll be looking at that. I think success as measured by yardage, uh, we need to we need to probably be somewhere around 400 yards of total offense against Kentucky at a minimum. Their defense is is not good. I mean, both rushing and passing, it's in the bottom decile of uh, the NCAA. It, it's, it's, it's interesting because it can be good uh, as it's shown for first half of football games. And that's why I say they're dangerous. What we know is statistically they're not good, but we also know that they have moments where they play really, really well. So regardless, I think that we have to put together 60 minutes of football that results in 400 yards of offense. How we get that, whether it's 200 yards rushing, 200 yards passing, or 300, 100 is not that important to me. But I think we need to find out what's working and generate a nice amount of offense against this team. If we don't, we're somewhere around 253 yards of offense. I think this is going to be a close game. I would want to see explosive plays. I don't really care where they come from, whether it's from the running game or the passing game. I, I would like to see Cronkite, Thompson, Scarlett, one of these guys be ripping off 10-plus yard running plays You know, and getting these chunks. If the offense is forced to grind it out and go get you know three plays to get 10 yards every time, I don't think they're consistent enough or mature enough. There's too much youth on this team to be that consistent. They're going to have to be a little more explosive. That might mean Del Rio be a little more aggressive in some of his reads, either looking down the field a little bit more, taking a few more chances. Now, obviously, you don't want to get in a situation where you're turning the ball over, but there's a there's a balance there, and I think he swung too far in the conservative route. It's hard to know what the receivers were doing downfield. Were they open? Were they not? I assume that they were at times, although it's hard to see from a TV feed. We'll get a better look at that in the stadium this week. Um, and I want to see some of these young guys do well. Okay, some players to watch for me is this little trio of freshman receivers, um, Swain, Hammond, and Cleveland. We saw Swain and Hammond this week. They looked okay out there this week. You know, made some catches, you know, looked athletic and quick. Cleveland, Tyree Cleveland, who was suspended this past week, our biggest wide receiver recruit. I have no idea what to expect from him. I would love to see him come out there, catch a few balls, make a few plays, um, do something positive to get him going. He missed a lot of practice time with hamstring injury. He missed. Um, he wasn't an early enrollee, so he's got some ground to make up. But I would love to see him on the field in in situations where he can make plays. Um, so we've got to be more explosive. We can't dink and dunk our way down the field. I don't think we're consistent enough at that. 
you know, we're not Tom Brady and the Patriots where if you give them the space, they'll connect on like 50 out of 50. So we need to be a more explosive. Anybody else that you want to see do well in order for us to have success? Uh, another good good game to watch Panero, I think. I think this game could be close at least for a while. And so maybe the situation where you're playing against an opponent that's that's putting pressure on you and a field goal needs to be made. Uh, you know that that'd be that'd be fun for me to watch. The kicking game is going to decide, I think, several games for us this year. From what I've seen from game one, I'm not necessarily sure we're going to be beating opponents by 20 and 30 points too often. Uh, but mainly, I think the other thing I want to see is just another another set of data in the sample size. We've talked a lot today about what we saw in game one. We've made a lot of sort of bold statements and predictions, but. I'm going to keep saying it every year we do this podcast that after game two, my confidence level will, will go much, much higher as to what this team is. And so I think when we get a two-game sample size here, we'll really know. We're going to sit here next Monday and say, hey, this is what I think we can be. So it should be a really fun game to watch. I would like to have maybe a few guys surprise us uh, with regards to their play. Maybe a guy like Ahmad Fullwood comes in and actually makes a few blocks. I that mean, would there be were, a big surprise. Yeah, just a few blocks even. <laughs> I mean, there were several plays when he's in the game, and I know that McIlwain gave him credit on special teams for playing really well, but there are a few plays when he's on the, the offensive side of the ball where we're running these little pop-out screens, and he, it's like he doesn't even care to try and block, which I know is showing up on film. I know that he's, he's, he's hopefully correcting that this week, but it's the little things that make a team play really well, and I felt like the little things are what really held us back from playing really well in Game 1. And let's see if we can get those things done well in game two. All right. Let's put it on the line here. Give me your prediction. There's two ways I think this game goes. Uh, one, if our defense is truly elite, we hold them to under 300 yards, maybe 200 passing, 100 rushing. Uh, and we hold them to less than 14 points. So I think our defense is elite. I'm most excited about our defense. I'm not sure about our offense. But I think that given Kentucky's history – they wilt in the second half. I expect a close game in the first half. I expect the Gators to win maybe 27-13 is what I'll go with. But I'm going to say that I have a very low degree of confidence in that score right now. I think the range of scores could be anything, including Kentucky beating us. I have absolutely – this is not like an 80% Gators win, 20% Kentucky wins. I'm somewhere like 60% Gators win, 40% Kentucky wins right now, which seems way too close for comfort for me, but that's how I feel going into it. How about you? The entire offseason, I've had a little bit of a nervous feeling about this game. It comes at a weird time in the schedule. Um, in terms of sandwiched around these cupcake games where we have a chance to focus on it, but it feels like we're already looking at Tennessee in some sense, like at least in the fans' mind. So I, I hope that's not reflected in the players. Um, that we've been Kentucky for so long that it doesn't feel like a big game. They just gave up a huge lead the week before. I, I'm nervous about this game. I don't, I'm not going to predict us to lose. I feel like the talent level, especially on defense, is too great. I'm, again, hoping for some defensive scores slash the defense setting us up for points. So I'm going to go 33-17. And I think that is closer, longer than we're more com- we're comfortable with, like you said. I think the first half stays really close unless Kentucky just comes out and screws everything up on offense. So, I, yeah, it's going to be more stressful Saturday, I think, than most Gator fans are hoping that it will be. Well, we know that you and I, Alan, expect – Probably a closer game than maybe some other Gator fans do. We're a little unsure of this contest. We wanted to get an idea of what a Kentucky fan might feel like coming into this week. Uh, Kentucky football has always been an interesting thing. They haven't beaten us in 29 years. So with that, we're going to bring on one of our friends to to give an insight onto just what a Kentucky fan is thinking this week. Should be fun. All right, we're on now with John Egan, 
a University of Kentucky grad, longtime resident of Kentucky, fan, enthusiast. Thanks for being on, John. Really appreciate it. Yeah, this is a football podcast, so you can't use enthusiast, I don't think, in this instance. Um, <laughs> Low but, enthusiasm. You know, we, Sorry about that. We we try, we try, you know, we try more than Vandy, I guess. Maybe that's our... That's your, that's your slogan, Kentucky football. We try more than Vandy. I love it. Well, <laughs> how are you feeling after that Southern Miss loss? Well, depressed. I mean, you know, but it, it's sort of... Um, that's the life of the Kentucky football fan. I mean, depression and uh, and sorrow. Usually, it takes a little bit longer than the first game of the season, but the expectation is always go is always there when you begin the season. So, you know, I think a lot of fans knew that this would be a tough game. Um, Southern Miss, we kind of knew had a good team. They, I think we're the favorites in Conference USA. They had some good returning players. But at the end of the day, I think most people still expected to win. Um, so, yeah, I think depression is the uh, optimal word. John, when Kentucky was up 35-10, to 10, what was the feeling at that point? Well, at that point, it was sort of like, okay, maybe, you know, th- th- again, this is this is the mind of the Kentucky football fan. Maybe, maybe we're, maybe we're good. You know, it's sort of a, a sneaking suspicion. So our questions coming into this season were really at the quarterback position. Uh, we've got a younger guy. He started a couple games last year, Drew Barker, uh, and is kind of a full-time starter now. He was a big recruit. He was a four-star kid out of Kentucky that picked us over South Carolina. And so there was some question about, you know, how good is he going to be? We felt solid in some other positions. And, uh, and so then you come out and he throws four touchdown passes in the first half and looks really impressive. Um, you're up 35-10 and you think, man, Mississippi State just lost today to South Alabama. You know, Tennessee struggled a little bit. You know, we know Vandy and South Carolina and Mizzou aren't going to be that good. Maybe we actually can, can have a winning record in the SEC, which we have never had in my lifetime, uh, sad to say. But, yeah, that was the feeling at, at 35-10. But deep down in the pit of your stomach is also the uh, the realization that this is Kentucky. And so it's almost like, is someone tricking me right now? Because I feel good, but I, I feel like I shouldn't feel good. Yeah, it's almost like you're – we've talked about this as Florida fans last year. Uh, recently we've been on a run where we're just not allowed to have anything good. And that's kind of like what you're describing now. If something good starts to happen – it's just it's taken away from you, and and is that what it's like to be a Kentucky football fan in general? Is it it's the polar opposite of being a Kentucky basketball fan? But is it is it just sort of this uh, this feeling that you're never going to be good? Yeah, it really is. I mean, it, there's sort of a collective trauma, um, I think, of all the things that have happened that are sometimes of our own doing, and sometimes seem completely out of our hands like we're cursed or something. I mean, a lot of people will talk about the curse of Bear Bryant, where we um, we promoted, uh, the athletic department really promoted Adolph Rupp, the basketball coach, when we had he and Bear Bryant here at the same time. And Bear Bryant felt slighted, and so he left for A&M and then eventually Alabama. And so there's people that, that still believe we're cursed uh, because of that. So there is a, a trauma of always expecting that something is going to go wrong. Now at 35 to 10, you don't think that much can go wrong because it wasn't a fluke that we were up 35 to 10. We played really, really well in the first half. Um, 
And so, you know, last year, last game of the season, we were up against Louisville, uh, like 21 nothing. But it was mostly, I think they threw like two pick sixes. It was sort of this fool's gold. Um, Southern Miss, we really did play well. And so I think people were excited. I think people thought, man, you know, this is really, really impressive. What do you think would have to happen for Kentucky to win this week? Well, we haven't beat you in 29 years. So, you know, I was five years old. Um, we have played you well the last two years, um, including two years ago at Gainesville. I think it was double overtime um, we went to. Um, the, I think the hardest thing going into Gainesville is the way that we lost. Not necessarily that we did lose. The way that we lost last week um, has to make the, has to be in the back of the players' minds no matter what happens down there. And I think that's that's the frustrating thing. If we played like we played in the first half, I think we'd give you a great game. Again, offensively, we have talent. Mark Stoops has recruited better the last few years than we've probably ever recruited as a program, um, especially at the skill positions. We've got some really good receivers, um, a couple good running backs. Our secondary is really strong. Our weaknesses going into the season were the defensive line and questions at the quarterback position. And in the first half, it looked like we'd answered at least the quarterback questions. If we get that kind of offense, uh, I think we can hang with you guys. Um, but, you know, when you haven't beaten a team in 29 years, I don't know that there's much you can really say about if this happens, you know, Kentucky can win. I mean, if it's an act of God, maybe Kentucky can win. <laughs> and so, like you mentioned, you were probably, what, four or five years old the last time that Kentucky yeah. won, and that was before yeah. America uh, Online. It was before the World Wide Web. Uh, it was before so many other things that that we was, now know of. But a lot more than that, yeah. Yeah, give me, give me a score then, John. What's your score prediction for this weekend's game? Oh, man, that's tough. I haven't watched you guys. I know from the scoreboard it looked like you didn't have the greatest game in the world against UMass. That's right. Um, That's definitely accurate. And um, and I know there's a little bit of a rebuild going on down there. Um, I would say probably somewhere if I'm if I'm giving us the benefit of the doubt for playing playing okay, I'd probably say somewhere 24-21 Florida. Um, I think again the last two years the, we've got we've got a few players from Florida. We've got a few players that have been there for the last two years um, against you all and know that we can at least hang with you. I think there were there have been previous Kentucky teams where there just was no sense even going into the game that we could compete, both from a talent level and a their Florida were Kentucky level. I think at least at this point, maybe there's not that sense from the players because it has been two good games. And especially two years ago, I think a lot of the players – thought they should have won. So I think there's some confidence from the players. How much that will be hindered by what happened last week you know, remains to be seen. Um, but I would still give Florida the edge. I think Florida is a significant favorite in the game if I saw the, the Vegas line right. I, don't, I think that's – people always say week two of the college football season is where you make money because everybody overreacts to what happened in week one. And I think there's probably an overreaction to what happened with Kentucky. It was bad. They lost. But I think people should not underestimate that Southern Miss does have a good team. Uh, and Kentucky 
for at least a half did look really impressive. Um, so I wouldn't put Florida as this massive favorite in the game, but I do think they should be favored, and I do think they'll win. Yeah, I agree with that. 16.5 points is what Vegas has it at right now, and that seems, yeah, that too, seems, seems, to it seems too high to uh, Allen and I as well, especially given what we've seen and given that, like you said, Southern Miss is a – a quality football opponent that I think kind of flew under the radar. Well, John, thanks so much for being with us today. We appreciated yeah, getting God. getting to get inside the mind of a Kentucky football fan. And uh, all I can say with regards to basketball is that I hope Calipari leaves sooner rather than later because all of us are sick of your prolific basketball teams. <laughs> well, yeah, I actually got to get off the phone anyway because the number one recruit in the country is about to choose. And so that's kind of precedence right now for, in my mind. There you <laughs> go, the mind of a Kentucky fan. I love it. Uh, thanks thanks so much, John. Yeah, guys, take it easy. Well, outside of just Florida, there were a lot of big games this past weekend that went on. We talked about them last week. We broke them down with Stuart Mandel. Some of your picks were right, like Houston, and some of our picks were wrong, like North Carolina. But we learned a lot of things, and I think one of the main narratives that came out of the weekend was it was a disaster for the SEC. Last year at a conference, the SEC lost only 10 games. Last weekend, they lost five. What do you think is the current state of the SEC? Is it down this year? Is it in trouble? Is it an overreaction? What are your thoughts? I think it's a little bit of an overreaction. I think the league is really taking a step back in the middle and at the bottom. So you have teams like Kentucky and um, you know other but the bottom dwellers losing. But at the top, um, you know, Bama looks as good as they ever have. They just absolutely throttle. They're like a bow constrictor. Just gets tighter and tighter. But I think the biggest disappointment, of course, is LSU, a team that people thought would be a national champion, and they look the exact same team as last year, maybe worse. What about you? Yeah, I thought very disappointing for the SEC. Yeah, from from Tennessee with with a good Appalachian State team at home, terrible quarterback play. Same thing with LSU. I said this in the podcast last year. I went to that game and I came back screaming from the rooftops that Brandon Harris is a terrible quarterback and that they really are not going to be good under him. They're not. He can't pass. They continue to try to run the ball against the team strength of Wisconsin and lost again. They just should not have lost. Uh, then you just go on down the line and you have Arkansas beating Louisiana Tech at home by one point late. Um, you have AM blowing a double digit lead with five minutes left against UCLA. Now that's a good win for Still them. Still a good win. Good win for them, but you blow that lead. You have one of the most boring games I've ever seen in Vanderbilt versus South Carolina, and just a just like this is terrible, terrible stuff. So you look across the board and then you have Ole Miss Florida State and Ole Miss comes out and you say okay well thankfully you know at least Ole Miss and Alabama have things right but they then just get up 28-6 and collapse just an imminent collapse I don't think that the mystique of the SEC is over I think it's always been probably a bit overvalued of course Alabama is is head and shoulders above every other program in the country Uh, you did have Auburn probably should have beat Clemson at home and Clemson of course is a hype machine of a team and, and you know they their offense Gus Malzahn, the Mad Wizard, can't figure it out. So I don't know what to make of it yet. It's too early to make any definitive statements. But obviously, with regards to week one, it's a struggle. One thing we always know about the SEC, though, is it's hard to play in the SEC because the quality each week is really high. And I do think these teams will get better as the season goes on. But East looks wide open. If it didn't seem wide open before, it really looks wide open now. We'll have to see Georgia, how they fare with... You know, Jacob Eason looking pretty good, saving that game for them, probably. Saved the game. Chubb had a big game. North Carolina's defense is not good, but regardless, I think a lot of Georgia fans thought that they were probably going to lose when North Carolina took that lead, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if they continue to play Grayson Lambert. I I think you just kind of have to go with Eason and take your lumps now. So the East is is interesting. A lot of people have Georgia now as a a sort of, 
oh, they're going to win the, the East and Tennessee's going to fall out and Florida looks terrible. So we'll see. We'll see. Nationally, lots of big games. Probably outside of Alabama, nobody was more impressive than Houston, which is one of your favorites. Tom Herman is probably one of your favorite coaches. What yeah. do you think about their performance? They looked excellent. You know, it was, it was kind of interesting because they were down a little bit early and just annihilated them in the second half. I mean, they don't look like a non-Power 5 school when you look at their talent and what they're able to produce on offense. They didn't – it wasn't a fluky game. And Oklahoma, I had my doubts about them being as hyped as they were. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we're not going to know much more about them. They're, they should run through their conference schedule and won't know much more until they play Louisville. But, I mean, if Oklahoma climbs back in and wins a Big 12, you might see Houston in the playoff. Yeah, really impressive win. Like you said, that if you took away the jersey colors and uniforms and you just had guys playing on a field – Houston is a is a big time looking team. I mean that what Tom Herman has done down there is nothing short of incredible. This is a good Oklahoma team. This is not an Oklahoma team that's going to free fall out and only win seven or eight games. It's a good football team, and and Houston handed it to them. Uh, very impressive for a week one showing. Yeah. very very impressive. Terrifying if uh, maybe LSU calls up Tom Herman. That could just start a bonfire in a good way for them. I don't even want to think about that. Let's let's not go there. We don't we don't want to discuss that notion right now. We talked a lot on the show about Jim Harbaugh and how bad we wanted him and that was never going to happen. We've seen what's going on in Michigan. I don't I don't need another another coach like that in the SEC. Texas though. Charlie Strong, our beloved Charlie Strong, all-around great guy. No one has a bad word to say about him. Probably the game of his coaching career was played on Sunday night against Notre Dame at home. He gets the win in a thriller. Do you think Texas is good, or do you think that maybe that game was just a one-game scenario they happened to win because people weren't really sure how they were going to play? I mean, what do you think? Both, probably. Um, I don't think that Texas is going to you know, run off like 11 or 12 wins or anything like that, but uh, they're running a version of Baylor's offense, which I don't know why it's taking so long for people to pick up. I mean, no one's trying to run it, really, and that offense has been prolific. And then, you know, they're using swoops like uh, 06 Tebow, smashing it in from short yardage. That could be a really powerful combination. And, it, you know, the, the Texas teams, like, they haven't had anybody drafted the last two years. I think maybe zero people, at least in the first few rounds. That shows you what kind of program Charlie inherited is a little, you know, overvalued in terms of its talent. But he's got some guys in there now. They're starting to come around. The freshman quarterback looked good. I think they have a good season, but I don't, I don't think they're over the – top yet but I don't, I don't think charlie strong gets fired at the end of the season it's probably the takeaway hopefully not i think he's a he's a good coach and i think like you said they asked him after the game about how they use swoops and how that seems very similar to tim tebow and, and he did not shy away from it he essentially had said yeah yeah that's that's how we would love to use him and i think that's hats off to them for creativity they pulled everything out to be able to win that game notre dame probably wins if they weren't rotating their quarterbacks uh, but they didn't. That's what you get. You know, rotating quarterbacks is never really a good idea. Don't know why coaches continue to do it. But regardless, good for Charlie Strong. Uh, definitely excited for him to see what he can do. Any other takeaways for you from the big weekend? So Florida State. What did you think about Florida State? I was in an airplane, and I was listening to Chris Fowler and Kurt Herbstreit narrate the game to me. It's 28-6, and I'm getting 65 text messages from my group that discusses all the football games, and everyone's excited. This is great. Hotty toddy. And then the wheels fell off. Man, that first half, it looked like Ole Miss was the best team in the country and Florida State was a, a fraud. And then the second half, they completely murdered oh, They exposed Ole Miss's like, one-dimensional kind of offense where they couldn't run the ball. And Francis looked really good. Their quarterback for FSU looked really good in the second half. 
made some throws that you don't normally see a freshman make, a redshirt freshman in this case. I don't know. I'm not a big believer in Jimbo Fisher. feels like other than that first Jameis Winston year, they've always played below their talent level. But I think they're going to win a lot of games this year. I don't know. What about you? So I listened to Seminole Network on the way home, which feels really bad to even admit that. Spying. To, to hear kind of what they talked about. And it's interesting. I learned a stat I didn't know. So under Jimbo Fisher, the Seminoles have trailed six times at halftime. And they've won every single one of those games. And they couldn't stop talking about how Jimbo Fisher's second half adjustments are, are legendary in the eyes of the Seminole broadcasters. I haven't looked into this analytically, but I think a lot of people undervalue Jimbo Fisher. I think Maybe me. I, I think that I have consistently been the one trumpeting the fact that the dude just wins 10 games every single year. And I don't really care that he plays in the ACC or anywhere else. He wins, and he's underrated and undervalued, and he recruits really, really good players. Uh, and that's what so much of winning comes down to. So it pained me to see Florida State reel off all those points and beat Ole Miss. One, because I love it when the SEC beats the ACC, and we did not have that happen in this circumstance this past weekend. And two, because I hate Florida State, and I want them to be bad. And it looks like, again, this year, they're not going to be bad, but they're going to be good. And by the time they play us, they're going to be potentially really good. Um, so we have to deal with that. Scary. All right, well, let's bring this thing to a close. Thanks for listening, guys. Look forward to talking to you after the Kentucky game. Hopefully a big Gator win. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe on your podcast app if you have an iPhone, Stitcher. Anything that you want to listen to it, you can. Appreciate the support, guys, and we'll see you next week.